0: Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining me once again for the CIO Strategy Snapshot conversation. Glad to welcome here in studio in 1285 Avenue of the Americas in New York City, Jason Trejo, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Great to be with you as always. Thank you for dropping by.
1: Good morning, Dan. This is the second week in a row we've done it in studio together. So we're on a roll. We have to this,
0: keep it going. This is. A trend i like it absolutely so uh, jason of course as always a lot to catch our listeners up on i know you just released a blog which is available now for our listeners our clients up on ubs.com slash cio the title jason of your blog narrative jumping we're going to dig into that a bit maybe beginning with the title itself you do cite how markets are likely to jump from one narrative to another as there lacks a clear direction in a data dependent environment which we're Currently, in. So, what exactly do you mean by that, Jason?
1: Well, let's reflect back on the first quarter. The year began with the, you know, kind of concerns that the first half this year would be difficult to get better than the second half. As we moved through January, the data was coming in suggesting the U.S. economy is doing reasonably well, signs of inflation coming down, and then growing expectations that the Fed might hike only twice more. So, soft landing hopes that have kind of fueled the markets through much of January. That lasted until we got a really strong labor market print uh, of over five hundred thousand jobs in January. Suddenly, then we're talking about well, maybe the economy is running too hot, and the Fed has to hike more. So now you have these downside scenario risks kind of being you know, talked about. The Fed's hiking to six as percent. Soon as that happens, we get the banking crisis beginning. Now you worry about well, now you're going to get a sudden you know potential you know systemic you know risk-off event. That by the time we got to the start of the second quarter. Your concerns about the banking crisis, at least as a near-term contagion risk, have moderated a decent amount. There's still definitely risk out there, you know. But in your sort of the question now is kind of what comes next. So just in the first quarter, we had like maybe three different narratives taking place. It's likely we're going to continue to kind of jump around you know, in the marketplace where, like, there's sort of a dominant theme. If you just think of, a, you know, last year, 2022, the story was inflation is too high. The Fed's going to have to raise rates, tighten financial conditions to slow the economy to bring it down. That was the overarching narrative throughout the year. Now the Fed almost done, grows slowly, but we're not sure how much. I think the market's kind of jumping around to like, what is the right story? There's a lot of different narratives out there. When you have a lot of different narratives floating around, it really means you have no single sort of unifying narrative. And that's kind of what I think, what I mean by this sort of narrative jumping.
0: Jason, as you pointed out for us, I know we recapped Q1 a bit last week for our listeners, but there was a lot over the past three months for investors to digest, which influenced market sentiment. Now, a big market narrative, which we've spoken about, that of course being the growth outlook. How could growth developments, whether due to tighter credit conditions because of the banking crisis or cooling even in the the labor market. We could talk about the data from last week a bit. How could that all lead to a different market narrative?
1: So I think what's pretty clear is that growth is going to slow throughout this year. That's not, you know, I think a you know particularly controversial statement. We already saw just in the past, you know, three or four weeks uh, in Q1 GDP tracking. The Atlanta Fed has their measure. At some point in mid March, it was around three and a half percent for Q1. As the final sort of data started to come in for. Uh, you know, February, but also March, and now we get sort of the final, starting to get the final Q1 data that's fallen from like 3.5% to about 1.7%, which is probably where growth, you know, should be kind of at or slightly below trend and likely to continue to decline. So I think that's, you know, relatively safe to say. But we think about just what's happened in the banking situation. There is, you know, risk that there could be further kind of bank flare-ups, you know, that cause sudden, you know, kind of stops in the economy. It looks unlikely, but there is those sort of nonlinear risks that could cause growth to slow down quite sharply. What is happening though with the banking situation is I think we've investors in the markets have moved away from something happening very quickly and discreetly in a big way to, well, now we know that, and we can see with some of the data that this is going to impact availability of credit, tighter terms, less availability. This trend is already in place, the Fed does a senior loan officer survey every quarter. Mm-hmm. Those conditions had already been tidying quite significantly based on the data we have through the fourth quarter of last year. Mm-hmm. We'll get an update for Q1 uh, in early May. So that was the trend. Uh, and we know that tighter credit is one of the best leading economic indicators. You know, you make less money available to people. They have less sure. to spend. Less businesses have less money to invest. It's going to slow the economy. So we know that's that's happening. The question is just how much and how soon. Uh, Another thing that you know, it's critical to this whole story is what's going on in the labor market. We got a lot of data last week for for both February and for March, um, all of which you know suggests the labor market is cooling from very tight conditions.
0: Yeah, non-farm was a little lighter, two thirty-six versus two thirty-nine consensus. So it's
1: it's coming down. But if you, then if you think of like March or January was over five hundred thousand, February was like three hundred thousand. This is a little bit you know moderating. And you look at the trend over the past year; it's been kind of you know coming down. But at the same time, we also had Uh, the amount of hours worked per week ticked down slightly, Mm -hmm. average hourly earnings decline. This is critical because this is a key part to thinking about the inflation story. If labor costs are coming down, it should mean ultimately core inflation comes down. If you take the last three months, basically the first quarter of this year, and you look at average hourly earnings, how much they grew over that time period, you annualize it, it comes out to about three and a quarter. Mm -hmm. That's the level pre-pandemic. It's a level that's very consistent with 2% inflation. So if this is their... Kind of wage growth going forward for this, this year that suggests inflation is going to come down. So that's a positive. Job openings have come down. So, you know, tell level where like you can see the labor market's getting back into balance. This is all a positive thing. And if we sit, sat here a year ago and said, you know, one year from now we're going to have significant job growth a wage growth is going to moderate, the unemployment is going to fall, and job openings are going to fall. That sort of combination of factors, people say, well, this is not possible. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the Larry Summers argument is like this has never happened before. It's unlikely to happen, yet yeah, it's, it's happening. So you can look at it optimistically and say this is all consistent with a soft landing. Um, and that's going to fuel, again, sort of the market narrative. Like this could happen. But at the same time, you are seeing softening the labor market. Some leading indicators in terms of announced job layoffs have, t- have ticked up. So we're going to get more pain. As job growth moderates, we don't know. Is it moderating to like a sustainable level or kind of falling off a cliff into recession. All of it, again, this is more of going back to the market dynamics of kind of flipping back and forth from things are getting really bad to actually they're going to be okay to soft landing. And the, the narrative on growth at least is going to jump around quite a bit as we kind of get through this data because we are so data dependent at this point.
0: So was that a bad news is good news case with respect to jobs data?
1: I don't think it's a bad news is good news. I think you can look at the labor market report and say, all right, it's, you know, it's strong enough that the Fed probably is going to hike another 25 basis points mm-hmm. it's also strong enough to suggest that the you know labor markets suddenly kind of really falling apart uh, but it's also sound like you know you're starting to see some implications of you know all of this tightening take place and when the labor market cools sometimes it can kind of accelerate mm-hmm. so we're not necessarily in a good news is bad news or bad news is good news I think anytime you get sort of news that deviates what people, are expecting or thinking, it causes that sort of view to shift. And like we were expecting bad news and actually we're getting good news on the labor market. The markets can sort of you know adjust from there. So I think that's where every data point, especially the significant ones, can cause market perceptions to to oscillate between these things are going to be okay to know we're heading down a really
0: bad path. So speaking of significant data points, I know we're recording today, Tuesday, April 11th. Tomorrow, Wednesday, April 12th, we will receive the CPI print for March, uh, which is always a point of interest. You mentioned how inflation data has been so influential to the Fed's monetary policy course, but with so much focus on growth, you wonder, Jason, where does this all leave inflation as a driver of market narrative?
1: Well, in some way, it's actually become secondary to growth, which is you know interesting because you know it dominated the story on the market story last year. Inflation levels are still high. But I think what is giving investors some comfort is that if you look at the expectations for for March CPI, the headline number for February was 6%. Consensus is expecting 5.1%. So a pretty sizable decline. And then, as we go throughout the third or the second quarter, once we get the data for June, that'll roughly be three months from Alex. Like let's say around July twelfth, mm-hmm. you could see headline CPI could be have a three handle. I mean, it could be three and a half percent, which is a, you know almost half of uh, of where we are right now. A lot of it is a space effect because so we think about what happened this time last year when the war in Ukraine began, commodity prices surged, but they kind of peaked out in June and then declined, mm-hmm. which means the year over year effects start to you know become very much more favorable for this quarter and then less sort of favorable for the rest of this year. So that is positive, you know, uh, even though the fed cares mostly about core inflation and therefore the market cares more about core inflation optically, the inflation picture is going to improve politically. If you have a situation where if inflation is down to like three and a half percent and job growth is, is falling or an employment rate is rising, there's going to be pressure on the fed to, to kind of, you know, pivot. If you do get that slowdown, it's going to be a further kind of, you know, bringing down inflation. And then you look at what we just talked about with the average hourly earnings. Those are moderating. That's a key part of the inflation story. So if that's easy enough, I think investors are going to be comfortable that inflation is going to come down. We know shelter inflation is a really lagging indicator. So new rents are growing at a much lower rate than sort of you know rents did last year, but it's going to take another six months for that really to kind of flow through kind of the shelter piece. So when you look at all this, the investor base and the marketplace can look and say, well, we're pretty confident inflation is going to come down to a more significant level. What we're not sure about is just how bad growth is going to kind of slow down and so i think that's the dynamic that's kind of shifted rightly or wrongly but that's the focus right now of the markets kind of moving a little more towards like inflation sort of last year's problem this year's problem is do we go into recession or not and how bad could that recession be
0: so with respect to inflation it might be stubborn but it sounds like chasing we're moving in the right direction if we're
1: moving in the right direction we know it's going to continue to decline for a variety of reasons especially the headline number uh and you know whether it kind of falls enough for the fed this year to start cutting rates that's open to you know debate but I think, the, you know, the, so therefore the concern is like, well, then how much does kind of growth slow? Because I think the evidence would say inflation is going to start to come down, continue to come down. Growth, we're not sure whether it's going to soft land, hard land, or somewhere in between.
0: So tying this all into the market, interesting. There is a fair share of macro uncertainties that investors are facing. However, volatility in the markets as of late, it has remained relatively moderate. So, Jason, why do you believe that is, and how can investors best navigate a macro environment which is prone to flipping narratives?
1: If if you look at the VIX volatility index last week, it fell to about 18 and a half. That's a relatively modest level. Um, it surged around 25, 26 in the middle of March when the banking crisis was at its extreme. If you looked at a level 18 to 19 historically, that's not really consistent with an environment where you're worried about recession, major risk off events. It's relatively kind of benign macro outlook. So so why is that the case? Some of it is sort of a technically related uh, You know, market pricing for volatility is kind of also based off of like what is realized volatility. We know equities were actually up since the banking crisis has begun. A lot of churn beneath the surface. So tech stocks have done very well. Financials have done poorly. Average it out, though, they kind of balance it out. So the the overall market at the index level has been relatively calm. It's sort of like the Cs. You know, there could be a lot of kind of undercurrent, but at the Cs can look relatively calm. So as a result, if realized volatility isn't that great, the market's not going to price – really high implied volatility. At the same time, you've also had some investors, especially like hedge funds who have been relatively lightly positioned, they're kind of thinking, well, we're going to get a recession. We don't want to have a lot of, you know, exposure, outright exposure to, to risk and equities. Um, so we're not worried if markets go down. What we'll do is when volatility rises, we'll sell essentially put options or sell volatility, you know, because then we can pick up that premium. We think volatility is going to come down. So that just a selling of it kind of mechanically brains volatility down. But I think the more fundamental story of all this is that the Fed Last year was a source of volatility in the marketplace. Inflation's high. They're raising rates. They're also raising rates at a level that keeps kind of going higher, but the terminal rate kind of getting revised continually higher, up to 5% eventually. So they're adding volatility to the marketplace. Now, in an environment where they may be done or maybe at most one more hike, um, this, I think the market is now believing that, well, the Fed's going to pivot. If you're pivoting, you're basically saying, well, we're pivoting to cut rates because we want to make sure growth doesn't fall too hard. We want financial conditions to loosen. We don't want markets essentially to be volatile. And also what they did with the banking situation is act very fast and aggressively to provide various liquidity measures. They didn't want that to get out of hand. They wanted to make sure the things didn't get volatile. So in some way, the Fed has gone from being a source of volatility to a bit of a volatility dampener. At least that's the market's kind of maybe sort of essentially kind of pricing that in so it's a bit of an you know anomaly to see the volatility kind of low in an environment where there's a lot of downside risks things like we're headed towards you know, at least you know, you know, a more severe growth slowdown, if not a recession. Why isn't volatility higher? I think some of these are some of the reasons why. Some technical factors, and also maybe perceptions of how the Fed is going to behave is sort of changing a way to to help the volatility story.
0: What is CIO's expectation for further hikes going forward? You mentioned that we might see one more, that a pauses on the horizon, but how does CIO see that playing out near term?
1: So, given sort of the data we have thus far, and it could change a little bit with the inflation data tomorrow, the conditions are in place I think, for the Fed to do one more hike. Mm-hmm. That's what the dot plot says. We've had some Fed governors come out and kind of communicate that we think we need to do a little bit more. Now, between now and early May when they meet, there is isn't risk that some banking stress could materialize. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they could see in probably more real time than the markets just how tight those conditions are, how much banks are being impacted. And then they might think, well, mechanically, this is the further additional incremental tightening on credit beyond what we expected just a few weeks ago, that's tantamount to a rate hike. So we don't have to do a rate hike. So there is that possibility, you know, depending on what happens with the data in the next few weeks. Otherwise, I think they probably hike. Then they'll have two more months of data on inflation on the labor market, April and May when they meet in June. That could be enough for them to say like, all right, now it's time for us to kind of step aside and pause. I think that's, you know, that's the market's kind of pricing about a 70% chance of that. I think where the market is, more ahead of what we would expect is is the rate cuts this year. You know their pricing, you know, cuts to begin effectively in July or even to June to some extent. Like, you know, small probability of that. I think it's just too soon for the Fed, given the strength of the the least the labor market and the economy for them to cut, barring some sort of big change.
0: If we bring this, Jason, back to investment implications, how does this all inform CIO's market outlook and asset allocation recommendations?
1: Well, it's not an easy market when sort of the views and the market sort of narratives kind of flip-flop back and forth, and they're sort of jumping around, Mm -hmm. because sometimes markets can rally on that, and then all of a sudden, they can kind of flip and suddenly think, well, no, actually, things are much worse. So it's a tricky environment to to navigate. I think what makes it, gives us a little bit more comfort in the view is that I'd say the rates market is pricing a more pessimistic view of how this is going to play out with you know, cuts, again, beginning by the summer, right. equity markets with the S and p at 4,100 is kind of priced in a relatively benign view, like things will kind of go, you know, you know, okay. So two different narratives effectively being priced into the markets. I think this is a kind of one of the keys why, you know, we we're recommending, you know, uh, you know, bonds as sort of our most preferred asset class equities, least preferred, instead of saying at the margin, sell equities, US equities to buy high quality, you know, bonds investment grade corporate bonds, mortgage backed securities, just given sort of the the your risk reward is, is kind of tilting in that favor. And the near term until we get some data really to kind of validating that you know growth is going to get worse, you might see markets kind of chop around, you know, as the narrative shift. But that's kind of what we think is a six month view, that's how things will likely kind of you know play out. Um, in some way you know the equity market is you could say is pricing in the Fed pivot and sort of getting ahead of things. But if it's pricing in the Fed pivot, it's implicitly assuming then growth has to be getting worse, and therefore it's not also pricing in the hit to earnings. So I think that's where the inconsistency on the equity side is coming in, more so on the rate side. Uh, you know, but as this kind of jumps around, I think you know that's that's the key point is that the markets can be inconsistent. And with their pricing at some point they're going to realign, but it might take you know a couple of more months, if not longer, before that to happen. Just given there's all this data coming in and sort of views are shifting around, and, and it's hard to get a lot of conviction until you see you know, multiple months of things are really trending in one direction or another. You know, a lot of what we're talking about is probably a little more U.S. specific in terms of the uncertainty, the banking situation, kind of the contraction of credit. That's less apparent so far outside of the U.S. You know, we're in Europe. The data is coming in. Okay, you're seeing China continue to kind of you know recover. So a couple other key messages. That we've had is you know, kind of diversify beyond the US and growth stocks, which have done you know, very well. Growth stocks are now especially tech stocks are expensive versus the market, less outside of the US. And also if you do get a Fed pivot and growth slows, that's negative for the dollar. So you know, kind of you know, prepare for dollar weakness is another theme. So all those suggest that you know the out the picture outside of the world, the rest of the world has different narratives and narratives that, by and large, are better than the U.S. So you look beyond our shores to think about how you want to you know, adjust your portfolio as well.
0: Thank you for the guidance there, the added clarity on those points, and for dropping by, keeping our listeners informed on CIO's current thinking. Of course, as always, a lot here that we will follow up on. Looking forward to having you back in studio with us next week to continue the conversation. But, Jason, wish you a great week ahead, and thank you again for dropping by top of the morning this morning.
1: You're welcome. Have a great week.